Welcome to the Clinical Pharmacist podcast, where we discuss interesting topics related to clinical pharmacists in general practice. My name is Runa. I'm your host. Uh, I'm the clinical lead of CPS and the training and development manager of Clinical Pharmacist Academy. Uh, we also have Mahmoud, our co-host. My name is Mahmoud Yusupov. I'm also a clinical pharmacist independent prescriber. I'm the founder of Clinical Pharmacist Solutions, recruitment, training and healthcare services provider that specializes in clinical pharmacists in GP surgeries. Thank you. Uh, so we have with us a clinical pharmacist who is actually one of the first PCN pharmacists in the country when the uh, PCNs first formed. Uh, we have Danny Bartlett. Thank you for joining us. Welcome. And um, please introduce yourself. No problem. Hi, guys. Um, yeah. So my name is Danny Bartlett. I'm the senior clinical pharmacist in a uh, PCN in coastal West Sussex. So yeah, as you alluded to, I was one of the first PCN uh, pharmacist to get in the door <laughs> when the PCNs formed in July uh, 2019. Oh, lovely. Okay. So um, give us a little bit of background about yourself. You know, when did you, um, you know, qualify as a pharmacist and how did you actually uh, get into this role that you're currently in? Um, so I uh, qualified in 2013. So I've been qualified a little bit now. Um, okay. And I qualified as a community pharmacist initially um, and did that for quite a few years, bit of locuming, bit of kind of relief managering, um, and then took a couple of branches um, and managed them myself. Uh, one of the branches was within a GP practice um, and I basically through word of mouth and kind of getting to know the partners and things like that and um, doing some clinical pieces of work with the practice and um, kind of like picking up on clinical points and like monitoring and things like that um, from my side of community pharmacy um, they kind of knew who I was um, and then yeah just um, kind of decided to offer me the role interviewed me um, and then offered me the role because they knew that the PCNs were forming and they knew this uh, elusive pot of money was kind of coming to them for all of yeah. this resource. So um, tell us how you adjusted from the community role to the general practice role. So I know you've been doing a little bit of the DOACS monitoring. Um, how did it compare once you were actually in general practice? I think there's always going to be a slight overlap. So even if you're not kind of having bits of actual bits of work like the uh, DOAC monitoring and things like that, I think that whenever you pick up a an error on a prescription or you've got a query with it, you all kind of liaise with the GP practice even from a community pharmacy that might not be within a practice yeah and um, so there's there's always going to be some form of kind of channel of communication but I think that uh, I adjusted based on the fact that I was within the practice and I, I kind of knew um, and had a couple of contacts with the pharmacists within that practice that I could go and shadow okay. um, so that was quite handy um, and also whenever we had a script a script query and um, we were able to kind of ring through um, directly to that surgery pharmacist that was already kind of there um, so that was obviously a really fortunate thing and that obviously doesn't apply to everyone but I think that even when you're in community pharmacy that uh, maybe you haven't got any contacts in a surgery or um, you'll still have a, a line of communication when you have these queries so it's always worth making sure you have open and constant lines of communication with whatever practices are in your locality. I think that's really good advice. Daniel when you first started what roles did you start with and how did you progress your career once you started? Um, I think it was kind of feeling my way to start with obviously it's a it's quite a, a different role um, and there's a, a hell of a lot of information that you have to take on board. Um, I was quite fortunate because I had a pharmacist that was already there and already kind of predated me by a year so it already kind of experienced that change but I think that taking little bits and little chunks of that role and the role that I'm in now um, and I started with like discharges and letters just to for, like familiarize my own self with the language and things like that that they use uh, looking at meds changes and just kind of getting to grips with the, the computer system was quite key 
key. I think that that's always the best first way and first kind of step in. Yeah, no, no I, th- I think you're spot on. That's what we see where pharmacists start with level one or level two of uh, equivalent of our pathway, where pharmacists learn how to use GP system well, and, and then they learn how to action discharge letters and deal with medication queries. I think the language is just so different. You're so used to seeing uh, just a prescription uh, at the end of everything, all the letters and all this kind of thing. Whereas like seeing whether the root uh, kind of the source of where all this information has come from to be able to generate that prescription is really useful. And yeah, the surgery systems is a very different beast to like a dispensary system. It's got so much information on it. So yeah, getting to grips with that is really key. That's right. That's right. Uh, so what did you do next? Um, so after that, I uh, kind of uh, thought that in terms of being as proactive as I possibly can be, I think that identifying patients that are on these these high-risk drugs um, such as DOAX and DMARDs and things like that and identifying maybe what what work the practice wanted me to do uh, which was trying to target those high-risk groups and see if they're being monitored correctly mm. um, so in being able to do that you need to kind of be good at building searches and you need to be good at knowing how to target those groups find out um, what you need to look at for those groups so blood monitoring what you need to be looking at in their blood tests and things like that um, and then applying that to the groups looking through it uh, looking through the data crunching the data to actual uh, realistic figures that you can then present to the mm to the GP partners and things like that and then making a clinical footprint for yourself I think that that's the most important thing you don't want to go in and be doing all this work uh, behind the scenes without any footprint in any patient's record so it's always really good to keep track of all the work you're doing have an idea of a perhaps a project that you want to do and making a note of how you're going to um, share what you've done with the practice and I think we, we just discovered a, a gem here where I think you know looking at how you progressed in your career so rapidly uh, and achieved what you achieved. I, I think the key what there was that every time you did work, you did record it and presented it in a like an audit, I guess. I think there's there, we have regular meetings in my PCN. Um, so I sit on the board in my PCN as kind of like the prescribing lead. So um, regular board meetings um, and regular kind of lines of communication, open contact with if there is something that cut, that filters down through the CCGs that we need to approach or a topic like uh, structured medication reviews, for example, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a bit. Um, you need to be able to have an idea of what the partners that practice want you to do within that realm so being able to go to the meetings regularly and being able to present whatever bit of work you've been designated or you want to designate yourself is really handy so I think my best advice is to make sure that you've got that platform to be able to kind of share what you're doing and what you want to do. But I think in your case especially the fact that you were one of the first PCN pharmacists because I think pharmacists they do find that when they go into surgeries that haven't had a pharmacist before usually you know the GPs or partners or the practice managers they don't really know what the pharmacist can and can't do. Pharmacists don't know what they can and can't do so it can be a little bit slow to to, you know just to take off and for the pharmacist to be able to you know deliver real value um, in the surgery so I think would you say that in your case you had to take a lot of initiative uh, and be really proactive and sort of path out your own sort of personal development plan or how how did you think I think so yeah I think that obviously I was I was nowhere near like one of the first pharmacists in practice but being one of the first PCM pharmacists um, Mm. meant that I was um, possibly new in the way that I traveled 
multiple practices. Yeah. Whereas the, the pharmacist of old would be kind of locked into maybe one maximum kind of two practices. I, I travel three um, and I also do some work for other PCNs as well. I think that having that ability to go to different practices, working in different ways and looking at maybe the systems that they use and seeing how you can apply your skills to it is, is quite a unique way to look at it. And every practice is so different. So I think that even if you've got a surgery that has had a pharmacist before, um, it does take a little bit of initiative to maybe look for things that that pharmacist maybe hasn't got time to do. Because as we know, mm. all three of us are very overworked, un- undoubtedly. And yeah. given huge mountains of work, it's about looking at that work and prioritizing it. So I think that, that that's the biggest thing is looking at the work and stratifying it based on risk and need, mm. knowing what you can approach first, knowing what the quick wins are and knowing what big projects you might need to kind of plan a bit more time for. Yeah. And so, so just to touch on that. So um, how has your, your ability to take initiative and your um, organization skills and the fact that you are proactive in your development, how has that helped you to uh, achieve what you have achieved in the last couple of years? You're the author of uh, one of our training programs, Structured Medication Reviews. Tell us how you came about doing that and have you what else have you achieved? So yeah, so I think the, the Structured Medication Reviews, whoever's listening doesn't really kind of know what they are. I think you'll probably hear a lot about them in this podcast, but yeah. um, they're just kind of more in-depth uh, medication reviews and the NHS long-term plan has identified pharmacists as like a key role to be able to deliver these extra medication reviews, more detailed reviews and letting us kind of target the patients that really need these reviews. So patients that are on multiple meds and discharged from hospital recently um, in care homes and all this kind of thing. So when I kind of heard and got wind from our CCG that that was going to be a priority for our locality and in fact the country as a whole, I thought it would be a good idea to try and hit the ground running, identify those groups straight away and figure out the best way um, to approach it. So it, as I kind of alluded to before, stratifying the groups on risk. So my first group um, and my practices and PCN's first kind of target group was the care home resident in the COVID climate had kind of been left by the wayside and obviously you're on quite a lot of meds. Mm. So in kind of um, liaising with CPS and developing the program is just that making a program for maybe pharmacists that haven't tried targeting the really complicated groups before um, and segmenting it and breaking it up into, look, these are the groups we need to target. How would you go about doing a review? What reviews I've done myself and kind of some examples of de-prescribing and things like that. So I think that by uh, looking at the groups you need to target as a first port of call, I always say that's really important. Look at what your practice has. How many care homes do you have? How many patients on high-risk drugs? How many patients uh, generally are discharged from hospital? Look at your discharges coming in. And who do you think your practice are going to want you to target on the SMRs first? And it's just about coming up with a plan in your head. So I think that's how the training kind of came about. Um, obviously, I liaised with you guys about developing it. Uh, I'm really happy in kind of how it turned out. But I think it's really good and really useful if you haven't maybe done an SMR before. You're not really sure what an SMR is and your practice is putting a bit of pressure on you to kind of look into it a bit further. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the SMR program has been really well received by the pharmacists who have taken it and they've certainly found it very beneficial. I don't know if you've um, you know, had much feedback your end as well. I know you do drop-in sessions for the pharmacists who've undertaken the course. Yeah, and we have like a, a WhatsApp chat as well. So after you've done the training, it's not kind of, you're not left uh, in the wilderness if you do have a query. Um, I am able to kind of answer it if you've got it. And we have like a, a support group with that. So it's, it's never a, a finished process. You're never going to know everything about um, clinical pharmacy and GP practice. I certainly don't. But I think having that support network, doing the training and trying to further your own learning and being a bit proactive with it is definitely appealing, not only to your practice, but your, um, your PCN as a whole, because you're going to be 
helping that practice, kind of moving that practice forward and targeting their at-risk group. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, a clinical pharmacy in general practice, it's it's an ever-evolving role, isn't it? I mean, me personally, I feel like I've developed so much as a pharmacist, as a clinician, and just learning new things every day, which we, with every other review that I do, really. Danny, can you tell us uh, what your typical day looks like now? Pre-COVID, uh, it was a bit of a, a split day because obviously no one wants to be doing the same thing um, all day. And I think that there's so many different roles, I guess, you can put yourself into in general practice. So my day would always start by looking at emails and looking at tasks. Um, so tasks are just a way that surgeries communicate between you, the doctors, um, the nurses and the other staff members. Um, so I'd always check on those. Um, I think they're really important for blood tests um, that you've maybe looked at um, and you want um, a receptionist book in or let you know when they've come in. They're really handy for any communications with GPs. So if you've got a dose query or you're thinking about changing a patient's meds and you want to bounce an idea off a GP. So I always check them first thing in the morning and then they're always running in the background. So you're constantly kind of checking them throughout the day. Um, and then what I have is a, I have like a triage list. So when, for example, if you were to call up your, your GP surgery and ask to speak to a doctor, you get put on an appointment list, but we have our own appointment list in my practice for pharmacists. Um, so anything that uh, someone rings up with a med query or they want a medicines review or uh, they've had a side effect of their med or they've just been discharged from hospital or anything like that, they'll um, come into my list and I'll ring them. So that's quite a big portion of my day is, is dealing with those patients that are rung up on the day. And then we have some chronic disease monitoring. So these are the patients that I book in myself. So the patients that I want to target, I've identified through what we mentioned through the SMR. And uh, it could be anything from care home residents to patients on multiple opioids that I'm trying to kind of reduce or I've already reduced and I'm checking in on and things like that, hypertension clinics and all that kind of thing. Um, and then also if, if I get a spare moment, I'm kind of going through any discharges and letters that have come through. Um, I'm really fortunate to have some pharmacy technicians in my practices. Um, so they help screen the discharges and the letters first. So it's a first uh, Swiss cheese model, if you like. If they can't solve it, it comes to me. And then after that, generally, um, I try and get on and do some PCN kind of proactive work. So it'll be anything from auditing to uh, presenting ideas um, or any kind of meetings with clinical pharmacists in my area, making sure they're all right. And uh, I've got a kind of a mentoring role within the CCG. Um, sometimes that I, I have a chance to check in with the pharmacist in the area. So that's pre-COVID. Post-COVID is pretty much, um, or during COVID rather, is uh, essentially still doing the tasks, still doing the discharges, still having um, appointments with the meds queries and the day-to-day -day and things like that but any extra time that I have unfortunately is taken up by um, giving the COVID vaccination so me and the other pharmacists are, are helping with that and um, consenting patients and jabbing and all that kind of thing. And how are you finding all of that? It's fine it's fiddly um, it's nice obviously it's quite a momentous thing to be part of yeah. but it's just uh, I think the key is it's fantastic that it's being rolled out in primary care although I think it would be better served in these huge vaccination centers it's good that we're doing a part but we have to we have to remember that there is a day-to-day -to, -day to remember that think about in the back of our minds and all the time that there's two pharmacists committed to that process your your day-to-day -day is running behind so your discharges aren't getting checked as as regularly your tasks are falling behind slightly so that's yeah. that's quite a balancing act but we, we've hit the sweet spot i think at the moment i think the first couple of weeks were a bit teething yeah. teething issues but we're, we're there now danny um i know your articles have been featured in the pharmaceutical journal and chemist and druggist looking ahead where do you see yourself in the next couple of years uh, yeah, so I think more of the same, really. I really enjoy writing the articles. I think the educational side of things um, and just putting my story out of what it's like in primary care is really 
really good. Um, I really enjoy doing that. So I also do some work for other PCN who have just hired pharmacists and kind of don't really know what to do with them or kind of need some business cases written for pharmacists they're looking to take on. So I really like that aspect of my work. So I look to kind of broaden the net, so to speak, on and making contact with as many PCNs as I can. Um, obviously, carrying on my clinical work that I do within my PCN as well is really important. I'm, I'm a prescriber as well. So just kind of forwarding my knowledge to be able to, I have like an expertise in elderly care and like the Parkinson side of things, but I'd like to broaden broaden the net of that as well and just expand on my knowledge as much as possible. Also, I recently put myself forward as a nominee to be a uh, PDA union representative for the Southeast. So uh, mm. that was only a really recent thing. I think I nominated myself a couple of weeks ago and the, uh, the vote will start early February. So that's something quite good. I think getting a seat at the table of, of primary care and general practice and making sure that everyone's aware of what we do and the roles and responsibilities we can have and should have really. Um, and making sure that we get all of the right resources kind of put our way as pharmacists is really important. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. I'll definitely be um, looking out for that. Thank you. So uh, lastly, uh, what advice would you give to other pharmacists who would like to transition into the general practice sector? I think just having an idea of the practices around you. So if you're a community pharmacist, whether you're a manager, a locum or a relief or whatever, I think having an idea of the, the practices within your area, um, who works at those practices, um, if they have pharmacists already, is it worth maybe reaching out and asking if you can shadow them just to get an idea for it? It's, it's not for everyone, but it's a really kind of uh, interesting role. And I think that if, you're, if you've been in community pharmacy for a short amount or a long amount of time, getting a different perspective on, on a different role of of pharmacy is really good so putting some feelers out of your area and who's in your area if they have a pharmacist um i don't think it's sensible to kind of go straight for a job without having that shadowing experience um because you won't know what it's like you'll be kind of in the dark and also if you've done a bit of shadowing you've been at the ground floor when you do have that interview or when you go through that application process you'll you'll know what they're looking for a bit more so that's probably my advice thank you that that's really helpful i think so what would you say um to other pharmacists um you know looking back Back, um, and look at that the struggles that you know some of the other earlier pharmacists went through when they were trying to transition into this role uh, where there wasn't much support and, and training programs available what advice would you give to um, uh, to other pharmacists I think yeah I think training um, obviously is really good because it gives you an idea of, of what a GP practice is looking for so if you if you are kind of wondering what the computer system we mentioned and why is it so complicated why is it so different to a dispensary system I think that the training package is just to guide you through that and uh, how you look at bloods um, how you kind of look into de-prescribing what is a structured medication review there's lots of different things that you can do to further your own learning in your own time um, and I think that that will do nothing but give you a foot up or a leg up rather um, on the competition when you do eventually go for that role. So they're really, really useful. I didn't really have a lot of access. I mean, the, the only training I, I did was already kind of within the role, um, uh, things like search building and all that kind of thing. I think the system training I had to kind of do ad hoc, it was a bit of a struggle. Um, so having training available now is really, really handy. Um, but ultimately, yeah, you're your own worst enemy. You need to make sure that you find the time for it. And it's not something that you do part time. Um, when you don't attempt it at heart with half the kind of energy, you need to make sure that you're you're committing yourself to it. And if you are looking for training, you need to know specifically what you're looking for. You do a bit of research of what all the packages are available. Um, and I think that will really give you a leg up over any other kind of pharmacist looking to apply for the role. Well, Danny, it's been a pleasure speaking to you. I think we've had some interesting discussions. Thanks again for joining no us today and best of luck to you for the future. Brilliant. Thanks very much. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Danny. This podcast was brought to you by Clinical Pharmacist Academy. 
supporting pharmacists to transition into the general practice sector and accelerate their career as a clinical pharmacist. For more information about our academy, visit cpaweb.org.uk. Thank you.